shit out of me when we recorded with Andy. I turned it on, I was just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but, alright, well, hey everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Pfaff, and I am one of your co-hosts. Followed by James Marino, another one of your co-hosts. Followed by... It's me, Josh. I'm just a person who's here. Josh is here. Yay, Josh. <laughs> Who are you, Josh? Um, I'm Josh Simon. I am the creative director of the Black Heart Collective, and I do a lot of really intense immersive theater um, that makes people feel weird things. Right, Chris? <laughs> Did you feel weird things? Sure, dude. You bastard. <laughs> wow. Hey, now that you've LARPed, are you going to be a furry next? Maybe. All right. Oh, man. I'll do it. I, I shockingly don't have my kitty ears on tonight. <laughs> well, you've let us all down, Josh. I'm crushed. <laughs> all right. Uh, Josh, why are we here today? What are we talking about? We are here to talk about my favorite horror movie that I watched last year. This is like, okay, I watch a lot of horror movies and very few of them stick. But we're talking about the movie Coherence, starring yes. the amazing Nicholas Brendan. <laughs> all right. Who is so, so good in this. We are yep talking about Coherence, made in 2013, written by Alex Mangian. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Uh, also written by James Ward Burkett and directed by James Ward Burkett, starring oh boy, here we go, <gasps> Emily Baldoni as M, Maury Sterling as Kevin, Nicholas Brendan as Mike, Elizabeth Grayson as Beth, Lorreen. Gafaria as Lee and Hugo Armstrong as Hugh. One breath. Where is my award? Here. Okay. All right. So, uh, sorry. What, what, what do you guys want to talk about? Uh, yeah, where do, where do you start with this one? I will tell you that the, when I first watched this movie, I couldn't stand it. I was about half hour deep into it, and I just could not give a fuck about anything in this movie. It took me a second watching. On my second watching, I really enjoyed it, but I had to mm-hmm. get past the characters because I couldn't tell the difference between like the two male leads. They looked exactly the same to me. If I didn't see them in the same shot, I didn't know who they were. So I was getting confused real easy. Yeah, well, I can see that with Mike and the other guy. I can't even remember the character's name, uh, but he does look exactly like him. Kevin, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah Kevin. this movie's a, a real honky fest. <laughs> Oh, it is Bougieville. <laughs> There's one sort of person of color in the entire movie. And he has absolutely no characterization, except that he's kind of a dick. That's the only thing we know about that guy. This kind is a of, movie yeah. filled with dicks, though. Yeah. Yes. Brimming these, over they, with they, dickheads. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, you want to give us uh, just a like an elevator pl- pitch, plot summary, something. Sure. Six friends get together to have dinner on the night that an astral event is going to happen above them. And that's when the lights go out. When the lights come back on, they find themselves in a twisted world of possible multiple realities. This is primer on crack. That's what this movie is. So this is, you know, like this is primer to the nth level. You've seen primer? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love that movie. Love that. That is such a hard movie to find. 
And so I think that's why I was drawn to it. Um, James, I'm with you. The characters, like, so, okay. Something that I think it's important to say about this movie. And I think I talked about this one last time I was on the podcast about movie run length. Hour and 23 minutes, 47 seconds with credits. Incredible. I mean. <laughs> so like, for me, I'm just like, okay, I can knock that out. I can always knock out a movie like that out. Um, but I think that I could look past some of the characters being, yeah, it's they're ultra bougie. These are not your friends. These are not the people you know. <laughs> These are like, you know, kind of like bougie assholes who are all having a dinner party and they have a lot of problems with each other. But <laughs> I was charmed fast enough by the, it reminded me of an Outer Limits episode or it was the Twilight Zone. It was an extrapolation of the monsters are due on Maple Street. You know what I mean? From the original Twilight Zone and that or, or it's, um, it becomes Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And this movie has a lot of depth to it for something that's basically shot in someone's dining room. Yes, it was and, shot in the director's dining room, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that that's one of the things that I don't even know if it's a strike against the movie because with the premise that they've set up, the writing in this is real easy. Like, anything, oh, yeah. anything can happen outside of like supernatural occurrences like ghosts and shit. You can do whatever you want. This is just basically like a free writing exercise that they turn into a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would love to see the actual script for this movie because I'd be super curious to see how 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 actually scripted it was, or if this was something like when uh, Joss Whedon goes and makes movies with his friends because it reminded me of that in a lot of ways too. But it was shot pretty well, you know. You're like, hey, someone knew about lighting. Oh, made the movie. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yes, that is one thing that I wanted to get out of the way right away is that yes, I don't often notice lighting, but holy shit, did I notice it in this film? Oh, yeah. I didn't I notice it until you that. just mentioned it right now. Yeah. Oh, and wow. then there's some super startling audio design throughout it too. Like if you're really listening, if you got, so I watched it with headphones on today, like full tilt. And I was kind of shocked at some of the ambient sound that is in that movie in the background. I was nice. like, yeah. Did not notice that either. I, I was just as, as, as happy. As the we Outer Limits feel. Today. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. As far as the Outer Limits feel, I, I swear it was like three episodes and I couldn't remember which one, but yeah, the, mm. um, the Elm Street one. And there was one yeah. other one and I really wish I could remember it. It's going to make great podcast, but it was an Outer Limits episode that had a different dimension thing too. And I was trying to remember it and now I can't. Wonderful. Good story. Hey, you like that? Happens. <laughs> Aren't you glad hey. you came with me on that? <laughs> But yeah, I think overall, so, and like, I, I, so how spoiler can we get? Here are spoiler warnings, guys. We're going to talk about coherence. We're going to really talk about coherence because there are some questionable choices mm. all throughout this movie. I'm going to rave about it. Yes. Mainly because I'm a dope and I love the acting in it, even though the characters are horrible. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think the only person who kind of drops a note here and there as far as the acting would be uh, Lee. Mm-hmm. Lee. Because she's not in it a whole lot, and I didn't think her performance was particularly strong. The wife that takes the nap and yeah, they had they had Tia Leone, Tia Leone at her for like half the movie. Just said she was asleep in the back. Yeah, so, that was I the mean, only time I, I I felt like I was like, oh yeah, I relate to these guys. These are my friends. Was when the lady was like, oh, and there's ketamine in it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. We're, I see how I, I see how I'm at this party. <laughs> All right, so. Josh, what is it that really draws you to this film? 
it's it's the sense of paranoia that builds throughout it um and and the theory crafting every time they're sitting at the table trying to figure out what the fuck is happening to them and things escalate in those times and and those are those moments where i just thought that i i love the acting of those moments where they're shouting at each other and trying to understand you know they find the photograph of a mirror um that was taken the night of clearly and they spend that time searching the room, figuring out where that picture was taken at and how. And then you've got other characters whose like ears are starting to ring. And there's just that moment where you know you have to start doubting, are these the people that started in this house? Yes. And that level of paranoia, it's like it's it's the thing, it's you know, all those movies that I don't know, man. I, I think I want to live in a world where no, I don't. That's maybe that's my fear. <laughs> and this is, that's why I love this shit. So I'm like, oh, paranoia, that's relatable. Yeah, and I think it has a real overarching, uh, I don't want to say, it, it's really got something to say about like xenophobia, I think, because it is the fear of the other, mm-hmm. but in this case, the other is literally you. Yeah. And I, and see, I, I saw it more like an indictment of, of Hollywood in general. But we, we haven't talked enough about the story for me to give the rest of the theory, though. Yeah, but I mean, like... On the xenophobia thread, it, I think it really is just kind of showing that, you know, you can be afraid of people and those people aren't unlike yourself. And obviously in this movie, it, it is a literal translation, mm-hmm. but it, it's also showing, you know, you can be afraid of things because you know all of the things that they're capable of. Like in this situation yeah. with Mike, when he knows oh, if there's another Mike out there, he's probably going to be drinking and he's going to fucking kill us. Yeah, I, yeah. Hugh, I think Hugh grabs him and says, he goes, and in the first person through that door, who's it going to be, Mike? It's going to be you. And how do you think that's going to go? That's yep. fucked up. Like, that really fucked me up in that moment. Yeah. Mike is my standout favorite character. And I don't know why I like him so much. He goes through the most. Um, so uh, you, you did touch on uh, Nicholas Brennan. What, what was he in? So he was he was Xander and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, and, that's what it was. And so like in like for me being I'm a big fan of the show. I've watched it a bunch of that show and I've watched it a bunch of times. And he's so goofy there. And then I know that Nicholas Brendan had like kind of like a tough road to hoe in Hollywood in general. And so to see him in anything, I was like, well, fuck, I'm gonna watch that. And then I read the premise and I'm like, well, I'm definitely gonna watch it. And I wasn't expecting much. And then I was like, well, he came really serious and he like I don't he's the most believable actor in the film, I think. Yeah, yes. like he was the only one that you're just like, hey, like there it is. Here's the pro, you know, because mm-hmm. everyone, a lot of the other people are are pretty forgettable. The unfortunately, the female cast almost falls into an ensemble in your mind because you're seeing basically the same characters mm-hmm. um, repeated, you know, over and over again, and until we get, you know, you get further through it. But yeah, I I really like the gag with Mike because he was on Buffy where he's explaining that he was an actor and he was on Roswell. Yes. Which was a real show. I mean, they didn't just make some shit up. Was he actually on it? No, he was in Buffy, but he wasn't in Roswell. But that I think that's just kind of a joke to the uh, multiverse theory that goes into this. And in some world, he was in Roswell because everybody at the table recognizes him as being in Roswell, except except for the one woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't even put that together. That's actually really fucked up. I just looked at it as some in-joke narrative, but that's really now my mind's broken again. Now I gotta watch coherence like <laughs> tenth time to be like, wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and in my well, universe how long where Nicholas Brendan was in Roswell. Real... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. 
How long into the movie did it realize? Did it take you to realize that there were more than two realities? Because I was about oh uh, yeah, quite a while actually. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was the the first visit from or like when Amir and um, Hugh came in the second time. Yes, I was like, oh no, there is a lot more realities than that. But because yeah. I play like D and D and I'm used to that kind of idea, it kind of mm -hmm. hopped out at me. Yeah, it's like oh wow, there's more than two, and they're fucking up now, bad. Yeah. Because they're splitting the dimensions and splitting the realities way too much, way quickly. Oh, yeah. Because when it starts to take off, this movie really takes off. Like, it's it does have kind of a slow build. But I do think what little character development we do get is really heavy in that little bit, which, yeah, makes it a little dull. But you start to recognize the relationships between the characters and why everything falls apart later on. Yes, Yes. Okay, I, I can follow that. Yeah. Unlike most of this movie, I can follow that. And yeah, I, I wanted to come back to Josh, you were talking about like the paranoia and fear, because this movie is really tense without much actually happening. Yeah, very little does happen and very little is actually shown of things to happen. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's anytime you get to that point where you feel like this person I know there's a stranger in this room and, and there's so many eerie moments of that, especially on a second watch of it mm -hmm. when you know, or, or I mean, and it's still, I mean, even on the second watch, it took, I think it, there's layers to it still. You're just like, Oh shit. Well, maybe this, you know, but as soon as you, you start realizing, I mean, they build an elaborate system based off of a box they had found from an alternate dimension. Yeah. And, and that we're able to prove it fits. Yeah, that like, I mean, like, like me personally, like if I had already found that box, are you guys making that box? <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> like, I'd be the first one to like, no, 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 we found this already. Oh. Um, oh. But yeah, but, you know, using that, it's like, so they had this kind of convoluted story mechanic of that box, but it was all, it was still put to really good use when they used it for the reveal. When, when everyone, every person in the room had a number assigned to them randomly. Mm -hmm. And at, at one point they go and they, they say, okay, well, what was your number? And it was like two of the people of the six in that room remembered the correct number. Yes. And that was, and, and I, I mean, shortly after that, this movie goes off the rails 100%. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I have a small question about the theory, about the multiverse <clears throat> theory in this film though. Is it also displacing time or is it just the, the, different parties in the different universes reach the same conclusions but at different times that's something that i was very unclear on well well yeah. the other idea too is uh, the randomness of the the extra dark space so let's say we'll start reality a and reality b hugh and amir decide to go 10 minutes earlier but they walk through the merry-go-round and get spit where hugh and amir left 45 minutes ago that would be not it didn't alter time but because the realities are working on different time frames, because they come to the conclusions at different times, that's why you're getting, they're doing the same things, but at different times in their timeline. So when they come over, their timelines don't match up. Right. So it's not affecting time per se. It's a just uh, opening up the idea of the multiverse. Does that make sense? Yes. But I mean, there are a few different occasions where things obviously happen that have already happened but they are identical mm -hmm. like the gnome right 
but again, that, that just shows that they all had the same ideas. It's not different times. It's just different ideas at different times. So they, one, they put the note on the door. The other one had the note in his pocket and the other one had, so there's slight differences, but all had the same note. Yeah. Okay. So I was trying Thanks. to see how time fit in that. I'm getting confused. Me too. Yeah. So, so here, here's my theory as the astral event was, it's a comet, right? Or is yes. there's a meteor that yeah. um, oh, goes meteor. overhead. Oh, it's um, they they are immediately dis, yeah displaced uh, into a pocket reality. So they've been removed from reality prime and sent to a pocket, and then that is when the fraction yeah the fracture begins is inside of a pocket dimension. But they're returned back to at the end of the film. It's right. Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's Wizard of Oz, guys. It, oh yeah, it is Wizard of Oz, kind kinda. Well, you know, Twister, cosmic event, you know. Um. Yeah. One one of the other things that I, I don't want to say I had a problem with, I, I could have used a little bit more actually happening because yeah. the last 20 minutes of this film are great when the alternate Mike rushes in and attacks the other Mike and when Emily goes walking and sees the one reality where the two Mikes are tied up in one chair in one house. Yeah. I, I could have used a lot more of that because I think those visuals were so arresting that it would have really helped the story along to actually see some consequences of yeah. leaving the house. And, and I think they can only get away with leaving it as bare as they do. Cause this is, I mean, this is a stark movie, like overall in terms of, I mean, when you look at cast and sets and everything, but like we're locked into that short runtime. I bet you without credits, this guy's barely over an hour and 15, but it does yeah. feel longer than that. <laughs> It yes. does feel longer. Um, and I can see how it could even take someone two sittings to get through it. But I think it's worth it. Um, I need more movies like this. Yeah, I, I've seen this movie probably five times, maybe two or three before we did this show. And it was always one of those things that when I was drinking, I, if I would wake up like on a Sunday morning, I would put this on because mm -hmm. it's something to just take your mind off of everything because you're going to be so goddamn involved in this film. Yes, oh, yeah. I, I've been there. Yeah. And I, this is one of those movies I really, really wish that I had the time and energy to go through almost every frame of this because the way that this is edited, even in the beginning, there are a few very hard cuts that come really right back cuts. to the scenes in the house. Mm -hmm. And I would like to be able to sit and pick through each of the frames to see if something is different, because that's clearly showing us that they're going into the different reality and showing each of them very clearly with such hard cuts. But I would like to go through and see, you know, like, oh, was something on a mantle different in this reality? Mm -hmm. and, and oddly, when I when you say that now, those really dark cuts, it seemed to they seem to be happening at regular intervals. I, I would be interested to see if they were like at 11, 22, because there were like four of them, four or five of them throughout the movie. Yeah. And they seemed almost equidistant, so. Yes, which is, I mean, just fucking brilliant filmmaking. The, all, the, all you have to do is have a hard cut and that changes the entire uh, tone of your film. That's fucking brilliant. And, and I also liked how they completely laid everything out in, what, in the first half hour with the box and everything. So every mm -hmm. time they would mention it, like they were surprised it was a big jar until you figured out it was multiverse. 
Yeah. And then when you watched it again, you could appreciate those scenes yet even more. Yes. Which oh, is yeah. like, there's so many. Why this is a real culty film because you can watch this thing a thousand times. It, it just it reads to me like it, it's almost like a movie version of an escape room in a bunch of ways. And that's what it feels like. They give you all the pieces of the puzzle. And it, I mean, there is no escape from this one, but um, there, there are just, yeah, there, there are too many good elements in this movie that they do. But then at the same time, there is a certain offbeat wonkiness to this whole movie and some really underlying humor that I thought just like uh, the concept of Hugh's brother, crazy brother having this book. Yeah. It's almost too much to deal with when he starts talking about it. And when it becomes a reality that he needs to go to someone's house to call his brother, that is their plan, guys. Yep. <laughs> like, I'll try to get a hold of my brother. And I stopped and I really like had to hard pause to be like, that's, that's your plan. <laughs> Best move is go your crackpot brother. All right, cool, man. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of that weirdness just throughout that movie that, and like, I, the fact that they're so willing to just be like, yep, this is what's happening to us. They just go with it really quick. Yeah, there are a few very glaring, uh, how do I want to say, like easy outs. Because in a film where you can do pretty much literally anything you want, just the, eh, fuck it. He's got a book from his weird brother that we never meet. <laughs> yep. Sure. It All right. Just, it gave it that. Yeah, it, it gives it like this almost like Lovecraft vibe for a for a second, you know, like this this falling darkness and this weird book. And I'm just like, oh boy, where where are we gonna go from guys? It is very Lovecrafty because there are no people of color. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I was gonna go there. You beat me to it. <laughs> well played. Sir. Suck it, Lovecraft. That's right. Oh, Speaking yeah. of xenophobia, Lovecraft. Also, Brian Ludlum wore it better. Oh man. Um, so one of the other things that you look at like the, I want to say like existential look at xenophobia, but there's a lot of very like personal things that happen in this film too. There's a lot of real looking inward that happens. And I think this is one of those films that when I turned it off, I just kind of sat in silence for about 10 minutes thinking, yeah, I always the one thing I noticed that struck me most, especially after the third viewing, was um, we you talked about xenophobia, but they all realize what everybody else is capable of. They seem to only be doing what's right for that person at that time and cares nothing of anybody else. Yeah, and that's when it gets even creepier because that's when the paranoia ratchets ratchets up for me. I'm like, if I thought the paranoia was deep before, when I realized that nobody cares about anything else but themselves. And everything is spiraling out of control quickly. Mm -hmm. That just made it even worse with all the paranoia because everybody's like, if I'm capable of that, what are there other others capable of? Exactly. And that's the real looking inward and realizing what you are capable of and how do you defend against that? Mm -hmm. Well, and this, okay, we'll, we'll talk. Can we talk about the ending? Uh, all right, all right yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because this where Emily walks away from the group, knows if she walks into the darkness, she's going to be spit out in the other realities. She cherry picks the reality that she wants, the one where two mics were tied up, the one you know, all of yes. those realities. She picks the one where the power never went out, so nobody ever left the house. 
finds or lures Emily out to her, or the, um, that alternate Emily instead of Emily Prime, out to the car, uh, what ketamines her. Uh-huh. Which didn't make any goddamn sense. Right. <laughs> and sticks her in the trunk, which makes even less sense. Uh-huh. Why don't you just toss her into the abyss and be done with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, so she, just huck her into the fucking darkness. I'm saying no. She decides to stick her in the trunk. Then, what, what happens? Oh yeah, she, then, she goes back inside. She sees alternate Emily crawling essentially to the bathroom, beats her head in with the back of a toilet lid, and just dumps her in the shower. And then, as she comes out, she passes out. Yes. Boom. Comes to the next day. And um, uh, Kevin brings out the ring and gives it to her. And we see, obviously, that she already has the ring on her finger. He receives a phone call and says, oh, it's from you. And he looks at her menacingly. Roll credits. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what does it all mean? Well, I, I'm going to tell you my theory real quick. We could also let our guests speak. Okay, oh no, I want to hear James's theory. I actually do because I, I, I need to prepare my theory. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I can't wait to hear your theory. But um, my theory is it's a scathing indictment of the Hollywood system. The idea was they made this money with as low a budget as they could. They didn't, well, Burkett wrote it and then allowed the rest of the ensemble to fill in the blanks. So they did it themselves on a shoestring instead of relying on the studio. This, yeah. is, this is where it comes together though. All of these people are vapid, they're self-centered, and they're worried about only themselves. And the end result of this is that we find out how terrible these people can really be. And to me, it just seems like they're talking about the Hollywood system and the people in that system only going out for what themselves and it's going to bite them in the ass at the end. That's how I saw it. All right. Josh, what do you got? I, I just I think this is this is a movie about self-loathing, and I think it is a slick fucking sci-fi premise that someone thought up and attached a, a way to look super yeah deep in, inside of ourselves, and and really yeah, it's it's all about what are we capable of, and even the meekest person, like and then this is the meekest person of the whole the whole group, what they actually do is the most monstrous of all. I don't know. I think this is um, one of those movies that just got made because someone had a dope promise. And then they've, I, I agree with James. I think, I think that an ensemble fulfilled the rest of what was there. And that's what we got. I, I like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go hunt down the actual script for this movie. And I'm going to see that it's like 25 pages long. So I, I think the ending, especially really puts an exclamation point on like imposter syndrome because mm. what is her plan what what is yeah. she going to do she has yeah. done that thing that we all have done before where she is willing to do anything for what she perceives as a perfect life and say it worked say she got away with it what she is not going to be living a perfect life because she knows in the back of her head what she's done yeah so in this effort for i guess for lack of a better term perfection she's found the most darkness that she could and you also get to think about how different these realities might be because surfacely they're very similar except for one small difference but we don't know how divergent it has become. 
So the world that she could go to could be very, very different in very, very big ways. And she's going to get blindsided regularly. Yeah, because when she's still playing Emily that's supposed to be from that world, they say something about, uh, because earlier in the film they bring up that she had lost her spot at the dance company that she worked for. Yeah. But in this reality, she was doing well. She was heading this whole dance company. So yeah, what what else was different that she is going to try have to try and adapt to all while in the back of her head, knowing that she has killed a part of herself to try and achieve something that was unachievable in her own life. Mm. Yeah, very true. Especially when you consider that like we're seeing such a microcosm. So like even now when we consider that only some things were slightly different, but that's within a microcosm of six people. So when you extrapolate that to a whole world, I mean, it, this movie is literally a nightmare. Every single one of those realities is a possible nightmare. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of what ends up leaving it so haunting. Well, it made me think of sliders at that moment. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, how come these, you know, how come they didn't walk, go into the world and it's all still cowboys, you know? Mm-hmm. I was waiting for that part. That would have made it cool for me. And I, I really appreciated that they uh, they did the math for us. So we didn't have to figure out how many realities that could be. Because it came out to, what, 5 million and something? Mm-hmm. Different mm-hmm. possible realities. At that moment, because yes. there had been no more shifts. Yes. The more shifts, the more realities. Yes. And I, that's when I think Emily realizes that she is never going back to where she originally came from. That yeah. is never going to happen. Because isn't the conceit that when it passes over again, it locks the realities where they're at? I think so. Because they talked yeah. about the decoherence and then they talked about coherence again. And I yeah. thought it was when the when Miller's passed again, then it was supposed to lock the realities. I, I, I That sounds right to me. Okay, because I, I, I paid real close attention to that shit. Because we watch it cross over, we actually see it, the, the comet pass one more time right at the very end, don't we, as she's walking through to the final reality? I believe so. She goes yes. to? Mm-hmm. Oh, Emily. What bad <laughs> choices you made. You made so many bad choices in this movie. Everybody made bad choices. I mean, she should have just gone to Vietnam. He needed an answer that night, and she fucking... He- hesitated he did that's the first really rough cut in my notes right next to me i was like what's up with this extremely bad editing in the beginning of the film yeah (laughs) i I was like what's going on i didn't pick up on that until maybe the third or fourth time i watched it It oh that was very intentional that wasn't just we suck at editing Mm -hmm. yeah damn now i gotta watch it again thank you yeah yeah this movie begs to be watched a bunch of times um yeah, like Chris, I keep going back to it. This is one of those weird movies I put on at three o'clock in the morning when I'm drawing. Yep. Because <laughs> no matter how you how you view this film, it changes with every viewing. There's something new that I've picked up every single time. And I mean, rewatchability in a movie is fucking key. Well, I, I watched or I listened to an interview with uh, Burkett and he said that they wouldn't, it took they would on purpose move things around in the scene and the house, depending on what card they had, because he does storyboards. So everything's storyboarded out. 
So he, him and one or two of the other people would just randomly move objects or take an object in scene and put it out. And it took and waited for the cast to start noticing it. So the, as the cast got more unsettled, this is, becomes later in the movie when we, they're ratcheting the paranoia. So it was actually set up by the director. It was really cool. All these little details they put into it to make this a really cool movie. Yeah. The one, one thing though that I, I don't know why, but it bothered me every time that I watch this, like, man, I think this movie thinks it's a little smarter than it is because they just lay everything right out on the table. You don't really have to put any thought into a whole lot of this. I don't think because they do, they lay out every single thing in the first half hour. Yeah. And they hold your hand through the entire thing. Well, I appreciate it on first viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about this movie because it made me feel smart. Because I'm pretty dumb sometimes. So like I watch Ooh. movies and I'm like, what? Like I'm seriously, my my partner Sam is constantly explaining movies to me. <laughs> like right after we finish, I'm like, so what happened in Malignant? And Ugh. yeah. <laughs> I won't <Liar. laughs> James <laughs> made another bad movie. That's what happened in Malignant. <laughs> I'm furious. <laughs> what? I'm furious about it, dude. I really am. Um, yeah, I, I all I've watched is a lot of pretty bad horror for a while except for blood beast check it out on shutter seriously you guys oh i i've out. watched some of blood beast Hell blood yeah beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah blood, blood beast. beast is nuts <laughs> yeah because i'm a horror enough. movie novice oh yeah you should watch blood beast on, on it's good it's a yeah it's good. Uh, yeah okay maybe we'll watch yep. that while you're doing laundry okay. we'll throw on blood beast and i'll drive you'll- home in my car going no 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 you'll be all right i promise yeah you'll be okay you'll be like <laughs> what yeah yeah Um, you may ask me to turn it off i won't but uh. (laughs) (laughs) it's got samurais a haunted house christmas oh i am um a ghost that rapes people no that has an orgasm when they kill people (laughs) Uh yeah these are all all things in this movie this is this is a real you're gonna love it oh it's my my favorite christmas horror movie it really is Oh, out of what? There's there four now, or they did. Oh, there's sort of. Oh, dude, there's tons of Christmas. Oh, there, there are a lot of secret ones. Uh, there's that. Have you seen, devil was it? Devil in the cellar. Devil in the basement. I've got a. I've got the devil in my basement. I think that's the name of it. It's a Christmas oh. movie. Great! Oh, wow, <laughs> crazy. What if, Grem- if Gremlins can be that is? Oh, Man, I'd uh... like them to make a big Passover movie, like a Passover horror movie. Mm. I'd probably be the only one to watch it, but I'd like to see it. <laughs> A nice Dibbuk tale. Oh, always good for a Dibbuk tale. Oh, man. That is one thing that, like, I'm not a big fan of any religion, but I will give it to the Jewish faith. They got some stories. Oh, the, they're the, good. Yeah, the, the Golem of Warsaw. Oh, there's all kinds of cool stuff. All that Kabbalah stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Oh, yeah. There is some weird stuff there. I have friends who do immersive horror and did a, I'm going to say this word wrong, I'm sure, and would be offended, a Purim show, a base horror show. Well, wow, that was pretty damn but, close, actually. Mm-hmm. Last year, so yeah. Shout out to Black Mass; they're amazing. There you go. Uh, all right, guys. Does anybody have anything else to say about Coherence? I mean, it is a mind fuck of a film, and no, we're not going to go step by step because there's no goddamn way. There's no we? way to. Mm-mm. This no. would be a five-hour podcast, and we'd have to have like charts and. Shit. I say, I guarantee you, no, it would not, because I'm not doing it. I actually took a look at some charts that people made 
Oh man. To mark the realities when they split and who split where. And it is insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. These, these people absolutely have nothing else to do. Yeah, it's it's like the episode of Sunny where Charlie's in the basement. Oh, with in the, the mailroom. Oh. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. It, well, I mean, what can we say about uh coherence? It's a party of five meets the Twilight Zone. <laughs> That is accurate. Yes, that is a <laughs> very apt. That is an apt description. Indeed. All right, Josh. It's me, Josh. 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 Yeah. What have you got to plug? Um, as as per normal, um, I'm out being a, a creepy human being. Um, as part of the Blackheart Collective, offering various remote immersive shows for the people who are looking for challenging transgressive 21 plus only horror experiences done predominantly online unless you book us for a private show and then we'll come to your fucking house <laughs> we'll come to your fucking house wow mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there uh, <laughs> but for real though if anybody gets a chance to take part in anything that josh does fucking do it spend all of your money empty your bank account give it all to josh borrow from your mom yes yeah. you rob and steal yeah please Look please do yeah and yeah so and you can always check us out on instagram it's instagram uh black.heart.collective it's where you can find our weird shit all the time Yo, yeah, and i will definitely put the link to that in the show notes Oh, I've never checked the show notes. I have to look at those. Yeah, d- don't. I just type random shit. None of it makes any sense. He's really been dragging you in the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's been a real smear campaign. <laughs> hey, you know, if nobody hates you, you're not doing your job right. Precisely. I, I, I will be the mayor of Pound Town. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right well i since josh actually had plugs i feel like we should actually have plugs i will make up a plug for next week because i still got nothing oh well you can find us on the socials at horror vomit we have a a facebook group where you can come listen to me rattle off a bunch of nonsense we'll talk to you especially if you want to talk about hair metal you want to talk about hair metal i'm fucking down um yeah we have our instagram page if you want to send us an email also about hair metal that'd be cool uh you can send it to horror vomit podcast at gmail.com uh i said i set us up a snapchat i don't know how to use it i don't know what the fuck a snapchat is um awesome yeah uh send us every fucked up thing that you possibly can if, if you send us something real wild uh we'll figure out how to get a hold of you and send you a t-shirt or something i think i still got a couple yeah, uh, I mean, like, it, like a live murder, or like, if yeah, you're just holes. doing an abortion in Texas or something, <laughs> send us pictures of that shit. Snapchat, I mean, <laughs> like the kids do. Yeah, I mean, even dicks. Like, if you got a weird dick, you can send us that too. But you have to use the, the pictures. pictures. You have pictures. To- send us the picture. No, I, oh, dude, if you want to send me a a dick i'll send give you my address <laughs> send dicks i'm on it <laughs> fucking dripping severed dongs here it is box of dicks and speaking of dicks 
Uh, you can also go check out my OnlyFans at <laughs> Dr. Pissface. That's D-R-P-I-S-S-F-A-C-E. Yep. Do, do it. Like, like, subscribe, comment. I, I don't know where the money for that goes because I don't think I've put it into like the bank account. So if you give me money there, it's just free range money. It's free range. It's, it's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoins right now. Oh, yeah. fucking, I will take a Bitcoin. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Send us dicks and one Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. My, my problems will be solved with literally one Bitcoin. Ah, the Bitcoin. Man, think of how much Taco Bell I can shovel in my stupid face. All of it. You can shovel all of the Taco Bell in your face. There will be none left for anyone else. Hell yeah. Oh, man, we're buying the local Taco Bell, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for what's a Bitcoin? Like 18 grand. <laughs> I think we could buy a couple of the ones I've seen. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fucking... Does anybody have anything else to say? There would be menu changes if we worked there. That's all I'm saying. The fuck there will be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Anyway. So remember, send dicks. We're buying a Taco Bell. Give Chris a Bitcoin. He fucking deserves it. All his money is free range. Oh, yeah. did I ever tell you guys about my million dollar idea that I have? Oh, no. Do tell. Uh, when I moved to Denver, Colorado, Stoner Capital, USA... There is not a single white castle in that entire town. Say what now? So my thing is Denver and the whole metropolitan area is pretty fucking huge. There's at least, what, 20 stoners at any given time watching Mm -hmm. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. You get a one White Castle franchise, boom, you're living like a fat rat off of shit burger money. Wow. Shit burger money. Mm. Yeah. Don't steal my, oh, damn it. I'm going to have to edit all that out. (laughs) Next time on Chris's Million Dollar Ideas. (laughs) No, that's the only one. (laughs) Oh, well. The the rest of it's just me trying to sell my weird dick and doing this. (laughs) All right. Oh, this is killing me. All right. Let's just be done with this, guys. Uh, Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Christ. Christ. Oh, I'm going